Welcome to Malts and Music, a brand new podcast brought to you by the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. My name is Vic Galloway, I'm a broadcaster, author, musician and lifelong music fan. I'm also a massive whiskey fan. This podcast is inspired by my own experience of pairing up 12 single cask malt whiskey flavour profiles with 12 music genres. I thought, let's do something similar, get some creative people to pair up five tracks with five delicious whiskies. We also talk about their lives, their careers, their experiences, and go off on various tangents. Enjoy, Slange. Val McDermott, welcome to Malts and Music. Nice to meet you, and thanks for taking part in this. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm looking forward to a good conversation and perhaps a dram or two. Uh, perhaps a dram or two. We've got five to go through. Um, do you well, do you have do you have the, the ambulance on standby? We've got the the paramedics just waiting outside, ready for. No, don't feel that you have to finish absolutely every dram. But if you do want to, please go ahead. Um, now you're, you know, you've got the best nickname of all, uh, the Queen of Crime. That makes you sound like a sort of gangster. Yeah, that's me, the bad, <laughs> the bad woman. I was known at one point as the godmother of Tartan Noir. Yeah. But I think I prefer the Queen of Crime. It's a bit more dignified, you know. <laughs> but on the other hand, I am a Republican. Mm-hmm. And one journalist did dub me the gobby shop steward of crime, <laughs> which is probably a more accurate representation of where I sit in the pantheon. Well, they're all great nicknames. Um, you're also a whiskey drinker. Um, <clears throat> if you were to pick your favourite off a shelf in a pub and say I'll have a, a double of that what would it be? Beaumore especially Beaumore Darkest right? which was an iteration they did a few years ago it was the, the whiskey we had at our civil partnership and mm. it was a great great hit and it's just a lovely dram. Yeah so if you were going for specific tasting notes where do you go? I would go for smoky but not too smoky uh, the, some of the some of the Isla ones I find a bit too TCP for me, mm-hmm. a bit too phenolic. Um, so I want something that's rich and smooth and warm, and again a bit smoky, bit of salt, bit of seaweed, baby. Yeah, yeah. Essentially Isla. Yeah. And and, and I Jura, I'm fond of Jura as well. Yeah, me too. No, I'm. I, I mean, I'm by no means an expert on whiskey. <clears throat> I'm a lover of whiskey and a lover of music, obviously. And um, this podcast was inspired by me being asked by the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society to pair up 12 single malts, cask strength with 12 music genres. I loved it. And hence, I've asked, uh, you know, yourself and various other guests to do something on us, you know, five whiskies in each case. But it's, it's, it's been kind of thinking outside the box, but I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And hopefully you have. How, how have you got on with putting music to whiskey? Um, I, th- I was puzzled to begin with how I was going to do it, mm. but actually, as I worked my way through, it seemed quite clear to me the kind of music that would, would sit with that particular whiskey. Some of them, it was a sort of instant summoning of memory and place, mm. uh, but then it was a case of narrowing down within that sort of style or, or genre or particular band, which particular track I would go for. So it was a very pleasant evening of, mm. of drinking and discussing with my partner what, what might go with it. Did, and so did you sort of um, sit with Joe and sort of go through the, the tunes and go, mm, no, that one's not quite right? Or Did a bit, yeah. And I have to admit, we shared the whiskey as well. Right, Because okay. uh, if I'd sat there and, and drunk five beautiful drams and said, you can't have any, <laughs> my life would not have been worth living. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Well, I tell you what, let's, uh, without further ado, let's get stuck into the first one. I love 
these little tasting packs, the, the Dram Team tasting packs. Uh, and if you become a, a, a member of the society, you can have one of these every month. They renew them. So um, we're going in a slightly different order from... Um, actually, Ian Rankin had the same whiskies, so we're going to go through the same whiskies. And obviously, he chose five completely different tracks and explained each one in a, in a different way from yourself, no doubt. Uh, so we're going to go in a slightly different order, and the first one is Mimo's Moon Pie. By the way, <laughs> did you like the titles of the whiskies? I did. I thought it was very amusing, actually. Particularly Mimo. Because, so, you know, it's the, the, the polis. It's the polis, yeah. exactly what yes. Ian said. Yeah, Mimo, Mimo. Mimo, Mimo. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's pour one of these into the glass. I know. They smell. In fact, before we taste, let's have a good nose. I have to say, when I, and I looked at the list and I saw it was four Speyside and one Isla, I thought, it's going to be a bit similar. It's going to be a bit, you know, not much variety here, but actually they're all so completely different. Aren't they? Uh, it's yeah. a real eye-opener to me because I've always been a bit sort of, you know, Speyside morning whiskey, you know. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas the, an Isla's for, for uh, the, the... Proper serious drinking. Yes, yeah. evening time. But yeah. this, is, this is beautiful. Yeah, in fact, let me get the tasting notes and uh, we went through some of these before, but they're so they're so amusing. I think yeah. Mimo's Moon Pie. Uh, the nose is a breath of fresh air, burgeoning spring foliage, cut meadow grass, flowers, and a basket full of tropical fruits, melon, pineapple, kiwi, orange, and it goes on. Um, this is under the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society's kind of flavour profiles, is sweet, fruity, and mellow. Um, and as part of those tasting notes generically for that um, that flavour profile it's watermelon pims apricot Turkish delight are you getting any of these? I'm getting I'm getting citrus fruit definitely yeah. no question about that and and uh, sort of warm spice to it there's a warm spice to it on the nose yeah I'm getting a bit of watermelon I think as well and a pina colada and lime marmalade uh, is uh, you know it's, it's quite specific <laughs> I love the the uh, Right, let's have a sip. Right, let's taste this. Okay, let's mm. go, Val. Let's go for it. It's delicious, isn't it? Mmm. Mmm. And it's and it, it it's got a, a slight bite. It's quite smooth um, when you first taste it, but it, for me anyway, it has a slight bite uh, later on. Yeah, I think the, the, the first the, the first taste at the front of your mouth is is very much a sort of expected whiskey taste, mm -hmm. and then the fruit opens up. Mm -hmm. And at the end, I'm getting this sort of gingeriness of iron brew, almost. Right, right. You know, it's that sort of... I, I, yeah, I, I can tell a bit of um, sort of ginger mm. in there now. Um, so let's, let's ask, let's find out your first music choice uh, for Mimo's Moon Pie. Uh, you've gone for Aztec Camera, Somewhere in My Heart. Yes. Well, this is a whiskey that makes me, that made me think about um, my, my youth, actually, and I've been thinking about my time in Glasgow quite a bit lately because my novel 1979 is, is set in Glasgow mm -hmm. uh, and I was working in Glasgow in 1979 and this sort of reminded me of uh, sitting in Kelvin Grove Park on a summer's day and the waft of curry spices from the Indian restaurants just on the breeze and the light mm -hmm. breeze and so you had that sort of grassiness and the fruit you were, uh, of what you were drinking and uh, and as I say, that smell of curry, and it just took me right back. It was like a wee time machine. Mm -hmm. Combination of the whiskey and, and, and the track just took me right back there. Well, I mean, somewhere in my heart, it has to be... I've heard people say this, and I, I can't disagree with them, that it's almost like 
the unofficial Scottish national anthem somewhere in my yeah. heart. It's such an incredible tune. It's just yeah. so joyous and uplifting and, and vibrant and it's it's one of those songs I mean apparently it wasn't even going to be a single at one point right. they were thinking about it being a b-side and of course it's the best known song that Roddy Frame's ever written probably yeah. I'd imagine yeah and it's got that it's got that swell as it rises you know you want to, you want to sing along to it mm. you know it's, it's one of those songs that's quite often on in the car if we've got the top down and we're driving along just belting it out mm-hmm. um, and, and it just it, it, and, and it also because they they sing it with a Scottish accent mm-hmm. as well, which was an unusual thing at that point. Uh, and it was great to hear, you know, sort of Scottish voices singing mm-hmm. in the, their own tongue. Yeah, and although there's been decades of amazing Scottish music ever since, um, that was a real key period for mm-hmm. um, bands breaking through, specifically Glasgow bands. But, you know, there was also, you know, Deacon Blue from Dundee yeah. and so on and so on. But, you know, Simple Minds were top of the world they were one of the biggest bands in the world you know you had love and money hip sway aztec camera i mean i think orange juice were they still around at 87 perhaps not but they were you know they were they laid the groundwork there was a real feeling of a kind of new buoyancy and ambition within yeah. scottish music at that point yeah yeah and there was a, and there was a glasgow had a sense of of um escaping from that sort of past of the gangland thing and the and the no mean city thing, there was a sense of of a city that was was on the point of turnaround. I can it felt at the end of the seventies, and you know we saw that happening more in the eighties through through from there, uh, to what I'm, next book's going to be nineteen eighty nine. So we'll be seeing again a progression of of what happens in the city and elsewhere in that in that year. This is part of a quintet of novels that I'm oh, planning really? on writing uh, at ten year intervals. So. 79, 89, 99, 2009, 2019, you know, the last year of normal life. Yeah, yeah. So same central character and and looking sort of at the changes over the years, changes in society, technology, politics, Scotland, Mm -hmm. women's position in society, Mm -hmm. crime, the whole thing really. And all, music, of course. Yeah, yeah. Underpinning all, it all. All of your favourite subjects oh. in, in, in five <laughs> books, and rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, so somewhere in my heart, 87 um, from the album Love, huge, huge song. I mm. mean, you'd be hard pushed to play this anywhere in the world and someone wouldn't recognise it. Even if they're, yeah. they're not quite sure of the band, they'll know the song. Yeah. A great choice. I absolutely love it. Now, you're a music fan in general. I mean, um, do you buy vinyl or CDs or download or stream? What's your? I kept all my, my vinyl. I never got rid of my vinyl. So Good. that's all sitting there in in the cupboard in alphabetical order. Um, wow. I went through the CD phase then, but I ripped all that to the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, so I listen to I listen to stuff that I've got in the cloud. I listen to stuff on Spotify so I can ex- explore new artists and mm-hmm. discover new things. Um, Anyone so that you particularly like new. At the moment, I, don't I particularly like. You. I know that's putting you on mind the spot goes completely bit. blank. I know, um, but I, I find because because I'm doing the books with the years, I've been listening to music from the period. Uh, so I had I had a year of a lot of seventy late seventies stuff in the background, uh, and so now I'm listening to sort of a lot of eighties stuff. So that's all I can think about now. <laughs> yeah, no, fair <laughs> enough. That's, you know, uh, but 
But the, the 70s stuff was... I, I, I'd forgotten how good the late 70s music was, really. I think, you know, a lot of Blondie in there, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I was lucky enough to meet uh, Blondie, Clem Burke, uh, Chris Stein and Debbie Harry yeah. and interview them once, and it was an absolute thrill. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Debbie Harry was the ultimate pin-up for me. Yeah, uh, me, me too. Debbie Harry kissed me right there. Oh, really? Right there, not on the cheek. Right there, the corner oh. of my mouth. Oh, that's uh, it. And and Clem Burke gave me his drumsticks. Oh, fantastic! That's, just like one of the best nights of my life, really. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Yeah. I'd, I'd, like, I'm lucky I've met a few of my absolute yeah. heroes. Well, you would in your line of business. Yeah. Well, it's 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 one of the perks of the job, but it's not one of the perks of the job if they turn out to not be nice. Mm. You know, uh, they can often be divas or rude or or you know. Yeah. unappealing in one way or another but Blondie were lovely I'm yeah. delighted to say it's nice when you meet your idols and, and they turn out to be nice people um, I, I, we, we ended up going backstage at Alison Moy the last time she was in Edinburgh and she'd got red wine and twiglets for us oh. she said, I, th- I thought I'd just get a couple of things in yeah <laughs> and she was just it was just like you were dropping in in your best pal you know uh, and, I, I and, you're, seen, and you're kind of inside you're going you're my hero <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, well, we've got an Alison Moye track later yeah, on. We'll, 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 we'll come to that. That's yeah. dram number four. So, um, well, I may not be able to speak in sentences by dram number four. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, do you want to add? Um, feel free to add some water. We've got these little water yeah. jugs here. The well, these are these are cask strength whiskies. These are these are the real thing. I mean, these are very strong whiskies. Yeah. Well, do, shall we move on? Do we don't. We not. Or, or, I mean, I'm just going to add a wee splash to this. Yeah. And then retaste it. The, the trouble is, my sips tend to be quite large, so... Because yeah. um, um, I remember many years ago, uh, a friend of mine saying, saying very pompously that, that one has to always add water to a malt whiskey to release the volatile esters. Mm. And she's some lassie, that ester. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, mm. It does... I mean, it's it, whiskey fanatics out there listening to this, uh, watching this, will know that water changes yes. the flavour, the complexity, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. really does. This well, that brings the fruit out much yeah. more. Yeah. 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 Very definitely, you can taste the sort of, sort of melony, pineapple grapes almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you, as a music fan, you, would you go to, I mean, obviously not during the pandemic, but would you go to gigs and festivals? Do you, do you, do you like live music? Do you go to record shops and buy bits of vinyl still I don't do that so much these days to be absolutely honest mm-hmm. um, and that's mostly because I don't have time yeah. um, my time has been gets you know, squeezed and squeezed and squeezed because of the writing and all the things that go with that these days you know writers don't just get to sit in a room and write anymore we have to go and do stuff um, so I, I, I get to things less than I used to but mm. I do still enjoy it when I, when I get to go and see somebody that I, I, I like and sometimes uh, the worlds of literature and music Combine. Mm-hmm. I've found that as having written a couple of books and also going to book festivals just to see people talk about their books and often sharing things and so on. Um, that those two worlds are colliding like yeah. like never before. Yeah, I think there's an awful lot of writers who really wanted to be rock stars. Ian Rankin basically yeah. admitted as much <laughs> in I, the last episode. So. Well, you know, I mean, I wanted to be Joni Mitchell, but I didn't have the hair. You know. <laughs> well, you know. Um, I'm sure Joni Mitchell would love to have written however many, 35, 36 books. Yeah, probably, yeah. But then, she, you know, she can paint as well. I mean, she's just showing off now. Yeah, well, she's, she's got enough talent going on. Aye. We'll, we'll Aye. leave her with that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I am actually going to finish this. I'm yeah. going to have a slug of water, and then I think we should move on to a second dram and your second piece of music. Mm. 
Mm. Our second dram mm. is... Cleanse the old palate. Apple aperitif. Yes. I love the little uh, bottles as well, the yeah. single dram bottles. So this is Society Cast number 39.209. So that's Distillery 39 and Cask 209, apparently. And it's only 56.5 ABV, so ah, we'll be perfect fine with for this, this one. time of the day. <laughs> this is part of the flavour profile Light and Delicate. And just a little bit of the description. A delicate, clean, fragrant, fruity and subtle sweet aroma of crispy apples like those in a Somerset apple eau de vie greeted us. On the palate, the apples did not fall far from the tree. Fizzy, sour, sweets, turnover, comfort, crumble, strudel and pie. Mm. How, how are you feeling about that? Well, I'm certainly getting the apple from it. And when, when I first poured this, when I first sniffed it, it reminded me of um, a place I go to in Germany called Überlingen. And they have a, a wonderful market on Saturdays, and they have they specialise in making uh, eau de vie with the local apples and pears, and it, it's just transported me back to a December day in Uberlingen because they always make you test it and try it before you buy a bottle. You know, and standing there and in the freezing cold. And of course, you buy cold, two bottles after you've tasted yeah, it. Yeah, he's standing in the freezing cold and having a sniff of it. So that was my first sort of thought when I when I sniffed it, and then. Um, mm, yeah, the nose is it's, very apple isn't it? It's, it's like a Calvados, mm. more than an eau de vie. It's, it's like a Calvados. It's got that, that roundness of flavour and that mm. fullness that you get with a good Calvados. But it's still very distinctly a whisky. It's, yep. it's interesting because the undernotes are always the whisky notes. You're not be confused that this was, a, was something other than a whisky you were drinking. So mm -hmm. it's lovely. And I have to be honest, this again was was another time machine for me. It took me back to the summer of 76, which was the glorious summer where it just went, the sun went on shining and shining and shining, and it felt like it would never end. And I was working down in Devon at the time. I was a trainee journalist down in Devon, and the weather was fabulous. Uh, it was so hot, so sunny. We had standpipes in the street. They were running out of water. I used to go swim. There was an open-air swimming pool on, on Plymouth Hoe, and I used to swing round by the hoe in the morning before I went to my work for a swim to kind mm -hmm. of wake me up and refresh me. And it just, it just seemed to go on endlessly. And because I was working for a local paper, I was learning my craft, there was all the sort of daft wee local stories that you have to do. And one of the things we had to do was cover village cricket. Now, what I know about cricket, you could fit comfortably on the back of a postcard right. with room for the address. <laughs> right. And I, so I used to regard this as, as being a sort of very bizarre assignment, but I would go off on a Saturday afternoon to village cricket grounds and sit in the long grass with a jug of cider and pay very little attention to what was going on in front of me. And then at the end of the afternoon, I'd go and find the club secretary and get all the details that I needed to have for my match report. So for me, it was a, just a, a glorious way to pass the time with a jug of cider and a bit of sunshine. Are, are, you, are you a fan like. of cricket to this day? No, no. no. <laughs> but I tell you what, that's boring. a great journalistic tip as well. If, if you are asked to cover something that you're not au fait with, then 
find someone who is and yeah. get the get the, yeah. the right lingo and jargon and yeah. uh, suddenly you're very knowledgeable about it. Yeah, and this was the, the ciders that we got down there uh, at that time. They were not like the ciders that you buy, you know, in the supermarket now. They were they were farm ciders. They were often cloudy ciders. And they tasted amazing. Uh, oh, I and, love. And this I mean, just brings me back to that that sort of you know the long grass, the cider. The st- it's mostly still ciders as well, mm-hmm. um, and and the sunshine. And it was yeah, beautiful. I don't know Devon so well, but I know Somerset relatively well, and I love it down there. And I've had I've got family there now, and my girlfriend has family there as well, and we got friends and so on. And we were only there fairly recently for a, a little break. And yes, I go for the. What's the, the local flat, scrumpy type thing? Yeah. And they say, watch out, you only have one point of that. It's my it's boy. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like 11% that yeah. or whatever, yeah. and, but delicious. And, yeah. and you taste the apples rather than that kind of slightly yeah. synthetic fizz that you get. Um, yeah, I used to, and I shared a flat with uh, three other trainee journalists and we, all, we had no money because their wages were pitiful. Uh, but on a Sunday we'd go to the pub and we'd have a pint in the pub and then we'd get a gallon jug take back to the flat and we'd sit around the flat on a Sunday afternoon watching black and white films on the telly and working our way through this jug of cider feeling very happy with the world yeah yeah, yeah. so um, to, to pair with the apple aperitif um, you've gone for well it's, it's the perfect song for what you've just described Mungo Jerry in the summertime yep. um, one of the most successful singles of all time I've heard I've heard that it sold over 30 million copies. I mean, wow. I'm sure it may well be way beyond that. And with yeah. streaming, it'll have streamed hundreds of millions of times. But a huge song. I mean, yeah. And it came out in 1970. So the fact that in 76, it was still on rotation. Oh, yeah. Very much. And, and yeah, it, it, and it's, it's a perennial one, isn't it? Like, like a good whiskey, it's perennial. It lasts forever it doesn't go off it doesn't wear out it doesn't lose its charm apparently is it what's his name the the ray dorset i think the main guy he apparently wrote it in 10 minutes it's one of those <laughs> annoying oh i just i sort of like picked up a, a, a rubbishy old guitar and kind of knocked it out in, on my lunch break and it will have made his life basically yeah. that song yeah uh, yeah but that's often the way, isn't it? With, the, 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 with music, particularly, the best stuff comes really quickly, mm-hmm. uh, and and the stuff you labour over for months, weeks, never quite takes off. It sits a bit flat. How does that compare to writing? Well, I think for writing, it's a different element. A different element involved because I think the real key of writing, well, is rewriting, being mm-hmm. willing to go back and rework it and rework it. But again, you have to know when to stop. Uh, it's it's possible to overwork something and then it gets overcooked and it and it, and it again sinks like a, a souffle that's been left outside the oven for too long. Uh, mm. And so it's it's that that thing of knowing how to fix it, how to make it better, how to polish it, and also how to walk away from it, how to step back from it. And I think that's um, with with a piece of music, with a song, you can tell very quickly when something's not something's gone too far when it's not right and you can go back I think with writing if you go too far it's sometimes very hard to get that, that flame back again uh, and, I, and I, I think it's I never know I, I, I'm never happy at the end of a book I never think I've got it right I never think I've nailed this one well that's that's why you've written how 40 books or yeah. or thereabouts I mean um, if, if you've nailed it then that's it exactly. hang, hang, hang up your your 
laptop, can you say that, and, uh, and walk away. But, um, and I, I actually think that there are some artists, musicians, who maybe do their best work, let's just say, in the 60s, 70s, yeah. 80s, 90s, whatever, and then their latter work, I'm not going to name any names yeah. here, but, but we all know who they are. It isn't as good. Yeah. And um, I don't think they're that bothered. I think they're like, I like writing songs, I like making music, I'm going to keep doing it, but I realise that my two or three masterpieces are back yeah, then. Yeah. And I think that's often the case with, I mean, they say with, with musicians and mathematicians, your best work's usually done by your mid-30s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with, with writers, it, because it's a, it's a different process, it's a different, I mean, the, the learning curve is, there's so much further to go on the learning curve because a, a, a book is a big, long thing. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so you've got further to go almost in, yeah. in the journey. Uh, so I, I still think it's a challenge. It's, I still think I, I still believe my best work may yet be to come. Good. I, I love that attitude in anyone. I mean, I love that in musicians and and, and painters and anyone that, that feels that that, that no, nope, I'm not yeah. still got still got it ahead of me. Quite yeah. right too. I mean, yeah, I'm almost faintly suspicious of people who say I'm really pleased with my new book, mm-hmm. and I want to say, well, you're not doing it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, apple aperitif, apple aperitif is, is, is delicious. It's very delicious. And and you can you know the the name is is particularly suitable mm. for this this one, I think. Mm. And you know how sometimes you oh, oh, have a yeah. lovely wee drink, and you think it would be nice to have a wee nibble with that. I tell you what would be really good with that. You know those apple crisps that you get. Oh yeah. And, um, a bag of those would go just lovely with that. Yeah, I've just added a little drop of water, yep. so I'm going to try that and see how it changes it. Well, actually, it takes away um, the fruitiness of it slightly. It changes it slightly for me, anyway. This is the thing about whiskey. Yeah, it makes it, it, it just, it somehow, it opens it up slightly. Mm-hmm. And, and it, but but it, it reduces the intensity quite remarkably. Mm-hmm. It's not that same real power in it mm. I mean obviously it's, it's less power in it because you've diluted it but often when you dilute the whiskey the complementary tastes give it a different build almost mm-hmm. but this this almost this does seem like a dilution mm-hmm. I mean you've had some career Val I mean we mentioned the you know, countless books that you've that you've written but uh, I mean you you went to Oxford yeah from a state school uh, in Fife mm-hmm. Um, at the age of 17 as well, mm-hmm. um, that must have been a, a sort of kind of baptism of fire in a way, to use a sort of cliche for that, but it must have been quite, how did it feel? How was it was that? a complete culture shock. Was it? These yeah. people were different from me uh, in so different many Different goods? Ways. Did you enjoy different it? I, mean, I, I had a great time. I had three brilliant years. I mean, I, I went there thinking these people have the keys to the kingdom and, you know, I'm going to stick around till I can wrestle them from their dead hand. I was very lucky though, I, I grew up, my dad was a great Burns man and I grew up with the sort of mantra of a man's a man for all that, mm-hmm. that I was as good as anybody else and that if I was at Oxford I was there because I deserved to be. Which so, of course is true. Well yeah, but a lot of people, I, I mean I came across people that, that didn't feel that way, didn't feel that sense of security and were quite chippy and were kind of always looking for an offence, always looking to, to take it the wrong way. Sort of chip on the shoulder. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but I, I never really felt like that, I was just like come on, bring it on, I'm ready for it. The, the first problem that I really had was that people didn't understand what I was saying because I come from five, came and talk like that and we talk <laughs> fast. Yeah. And, and folk just didn't, they came what I was saying. 
So I had to had to learn to speak English. So we have now what what my partner Joe calls your Radio Four Scottish accent. Mm. Um, but when I go back to start Spark to watch the football game, it just all comes back. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, I grew up in Fife as yeah. well. As you as you were saying before, we turned the mics on. I was from the slightly more middle class posher <laughs> bit round the corner near yeah. St Andrews. But um, no, it's uh, I I yearn for Fife. I don't go back mm. as often as as I'd like. But um, whenever I go back there. Can't quite get the mobile phone reception. Yeah. Everything slows down a little bit. You know, we were in a very rural village growing up, and it just makes me relax. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I, I can the chippies and all the rest Aye. of it. It's great. Yeah. And uh, just being back there yes. just immediately relaxes me. And it's. I'm glad you say that about a man's man for all that and not feeling like you know you had a chip on your shoulder because I think that's the best way to be you don't want people who are middle class to like look down their nose and you don't want people who are working class whatever to feel like they've got something to prove everyone should be equal and everyone should do their best to just you know exist in life and as an equal man woman gay straight old young black white etc etc um I'd like to think the world is going more in that direction, let's hope. And I think I was lucky, the college I went to, St Hilda's, has always had a very egalitarian reputation and a great feel to it. I mean, I know friends at other colleges who, you know, like some of the men's colleges were just hideously riven with, you know, cliques and and little sets, you know, like the Bullingdon Club. Right, of course. And that kind of, I'm allowed to say wanker. Um, I think you can say wanker in a podcast. <laughs> and, you? Um, you know, St Hilda's wasn't like that. I mean, on my corridor in my first year, and I was pals with the daughter of a duke, and the daughter, literally the daughter of a duke and the daughter of a lorry driver. Um, and there was, there was genuinely a sense that you were judged by the quality of your discourse and the quality of your argument. Uh, and I, I, I thought it was great. It was only years afterwards, you know, that somebody said to me at a re- reunion one year, said, we all thought you were tremendously exotic. Like, right, exotic. I'm fifty-five. <laughs> fifty-five. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's mind you. That's exactly what people will say. And if I think, if if someone who's frightfully there and comes from you know wherever Surrey comes up and, and lives in Fife for a bit, although they've got St Andrews University, it's not going to be that unusual. People might think they're quite exotic, yeah. certainly. Or if you went to America, but a Fifer in in Oxford. But you're you're a pioneer. You're a trailblazer for 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 women, for writers, and and for fifers. Yeah. But you don't think about that when you're doing it. No, it, no. It's just the next thing you do. Um, you know, I've never thought I was breaking the rules or 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 um, transforming the genre or anything like that. I've just got on with doing the next thing that was in front of me, the next thing that was important to me to do, um, and so. You know, for, as far as I was concerned, going to Oxford, yeah, it was it was a, it was an amazing thing, and it changed my life. There's no doubt about that, and it's continued to change my life. I mean, there are still people today. I can ring up somebody today, that or email somebody today that I've not seen for forty years, and say, "Remember me? I'm writing a book about such and such. I think you could be really helpful to me. Would you mind if I took you out to lunch, or or if I went out for a drink or something?" And it works. Yeah, they'll still do it. It probably helps that you're a globally renowned and massively successful author these days. But, uh, Aye, but if, 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 if you worked in a pub in Carden Den or something like that and phoned them up, mind you, you'd like to think that they would still. Yeah, well, it was it was always thus. I mean, you know, it wasn't. I didn't have to get famous before people were, would, would hold out a hand. Yeah, yeah. You know. No, that's great. Um, Mongo Jerry in the summertime. Great, yeah. great choice for apple aperitif. So dram number three, banana balaclava. What a name <laughs> for a whiskey you were. Yeah. For. Fresh glass. 
courtesy of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Very nice of them. I tell you, these these are, are eye-opening whiskies as well. If you think you know your whiskies, no. this this is this, these are still something that can take you on a different journey. Oh, I mean, and, and as as a member coming in here, obviously doing the podcast mm. is one thing, but coming in here of an evening with friends, having a bite to eat and having a few drams. Um, I obviously know certain flavours and places that I like to go personally, but you've always got someone that goes, oh, can we try one of these? And you're transported. Yeah. They are the finest whiskies known to man. Um, yes. yes. Yeah, I have one or two friends who are involved with society right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, so I've, over the years I've had some very interesting drams. Yeah. And again, this, these these yeah. um, tasting notes. Uh, this again, this is a sweet, fruity, and mellow. So a few more of them: candied orange slices, lemon meringue pie, uh, peach melba sherbet. You see, this is one that on the nose doesn't really draw me in. Mm. It, 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 it's like not exciting to me on the nose, mm. but when you put it in your mouth, it's a different story. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you've got that those those lovely richnesses. You've got the, the bananas there. And the toffee is there as well at the yeah. back of it. And it is a bit like a, a banoffee pie. And it's almost like a banoffee pie where we dod of rum and raisin ice cream on the side. Yeah, I'm getting all of that. It's, 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 it is a part, not far more sweet than the other ones. I mean, mm. the apple aperitif obviously had that fruitiness. But this has more of a, yeah, banoffee, um, a toasted toffee-ish kind of flavour to mm. it. Although it's still, you know, kind of slightly fruity yeah. as well. Now, you've uh, paired this with Nitin Sawney and Nadia. Yeah. Um, tell me about how you discovered this song and why this went with this whiskey. Um, well, I'd, I'd been listening to Nitin Sawney on and off over many years and, and like that sort of sense of fusion. Mm-hmm. And that was that's what was, that drew me to his music in the first place. And, and I've always loved this track because it seems to me to have that, that balance of cultures. And... What I would really have loved to have paired with this whisky is a, a wonderful fusion that was made between artists and musicians from Stornoway and musicians from Calcutta, Indian musicians and Scottish musicians, who put together this thing called Yatra. Mm-hmm. And it was a tribute to a guy called Colin Mackenzie, who was a surveyor who went out to Kolkata in the 19th century. And basically, he surveyed on behalf of, of the, the East India Company but he was fascinated with Indian antiquities and he gathered together a lot of archaeological things that would otherwise have disappeared. Um, and he, he was a significant figure in, in that period in Kolkata. Now, I was lucky enough to be at the Kolkata Literary Festival a few years ago with my very good friend, Abir Mukherjee, mm-hmm. whose family come from Kolkata. Mm. And he, of course, knows it very well. And Abir likes his whiskey as well, but Abir likes what we call ladies' whiskey. Right, and, and and it's a very Bengali thing. They all like the space size, the light space Oh, I size. see. Is that what you and, and, and we tease him. We, we always tease him, saying, "Oh, you like your ladies' whiskey, don't you, Abir? We'll get you to grow up one day." Yeah, here's um, a here's a Lagavulin. Here's yeah, something. Yeah. You know. So uh, this this whiskey just reminded me of of, of that trip uh, and of Abir and that wonderful wonderful music. We sat in the courtyard of the the museum in Kolkata, open to the stars, and this music was just amazing it's never been recorded and I, I, I don't know why mm-hmm. but it was a, just a fantastic I had never really thought about um, a fusion of Scottish traditional music and Indian music but actually the note progressions the, the, the progressions within the music are surprisingly similar they work really well together 
Uh, and in the absence of that, I thought, well, I'll go with something that will remind me at least of the joy of that kind of fusion. And that's why I went with the Knit and Sony. Yeah, Knit and Sony, I mean, globally renowned artist. And this has a sort of almost drum and bass kind of flavour to yeah. it, and certainly in the, in the, in the yeah, beat. And the tabla, and the, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and the tabla as well. It's um, from the album Beyond Skin, which is late 90s, 99, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, wonderful vocal. I, it's sang in a, a Hindi dialect, but I don't know what she's singing doesn't matter does it no (laughs) but it's very evocative yeah I'm with you on that kind of fusion as well I mean it can be done badly don't get me wrong there's a lot of jazz fusion that leaves me a little cold but if you get if you get the kind of elements right I think that's almost some of the most exciting music that can be made Uh, when ground is broken like that you take one genre and another genre or two or three different influences sort of meld them together and, and, and something new comes from it and this is yeah. definitely one of those tracks and this is a, a perfect whiskey for that sort of Bengali blend underneath the stars mm, mm. I wish I'd had some that night you know mm. would have made a great night even better yeah um, well, the, the, I mean uh, India now is a huge market for mm. whiskey and, yeah, yeah. Uh, tell me a bit about your personal journey with single malts and so on um, when, did, when did you first become aware of single malt whiskey and when did you first start liking it well when I was a teenager really the, the, the whiskey of choice that uh, people had the, the, the classy whiskey was grouse mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I was fortunate enough to have a, a very good friend at school whose dad uh, was and he loved malt whiskies and he believed that we ought to be educated in mm. the glory of Scottish proper Scottish whiskey and so uh, from the age of about 16 onwards, whenever I was round at her house, which was fairly often because mm. you know, I used to hang out with her and her siblings a lot, uh, and we'd, we'd be playing a game of Monopoly and Sandy would come into the room saying, here's something from the Scotch malt whiskey I think you should try. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we worked our way in small quantities uh, around the highlands and the lowlands and the islands. Uh, and he explained to us the qualities of the whiskey and then let us try them. And that gave me the taste for it. There's no yeah. doubt about it. You know, after that, there was there was there was no going back to a bells and lemonade. No, no, absolutely not. It's it's uh, for people who haven't gone into that world yet. It's difficult to explain it other than it's like two different kinds of experiences. That mm-hmm. it's it, they're almost not comparable, really. Um, what what an education! That's Great. fabulous. Yeah, and for years afterwards, you know, I'd, 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 whenever I was back in Kirkcaldy at Hogmanay, I'd, I'd go round their house for an evening, and and Sandy would produce the latest bottle that he'd acquired and talk us through it, and would have a few drams and and a good catch up, a good blether, uh, and he, I mean, I, it's, his generosity was extraordinary. You know, a bunch of callow teenagers and. I mean, he was a teacher, so he felt that his role was as an educator, that he should educate our palates as well as our minds. Oh, I mean, you, you, must, you must have been relatively well behaved as teenagers then, because I'm not sure um, any parent of any friend of mine would have given us, you know, cask strength single malt whiskey uh, when, when we were teenagers. We would have been bouncing off the walls, which we were already doing, yes. you know. Um, but yeah, I... I, I I think I but mentioned it to Ian. I, I probably, it was Glenn Morangie and Glenn Fiddick would have been the first kind of generic malts I had. I, I like both of them, by the yeah. way. I, I still yeah. think that a good bottle of either is as good as anything else. But um, it, it took me a little while to sort of find my way into it. And of course, I think the Islas, when you, when you start getting into that mm-hmm. slightly more medicinal TCP 
heavily peated stuff, then you realise it's it's a completely different liquor altogether. Yeah. But I think one, one of the things that he was also concerned about was, was teaching us to drink responsibly. So yeah, oh, and, good, and, and that, that, that one of the ways to teach people to drink responsibly was to give them good liquor. Mm. That you were savouring it for its own sake, not just to get hammered. Yes. I mean, getting hammered was, was a totally different thing. We went down the Harbour Bar and drank Carlsberg Special. Yeah. But when we were around his house, it was about appreciating what was put in front of you. Yeah. It was about the pleasure of the drinking, not the, the state of getting drunk. I think, I think um, I'd like to think that there are more and more people taking that on board nowadays mm. as well. I mean, you don't come to the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society to get hammered. You know, you come here to sip the finest whiskey known to man yeah. and have a nice evening and discuss things and be in these wonderful surroundings. It's nice being in the vaults in, in Leith as well. Yeah. It's a great place. And there's obviously Queen Street and there are societies all over now, Glasgow yeah. and, and London and, oh, you know. And we, had a, we had a celebration here actually for the paperback of The Mermaid Singing, which had won the gold dagger in hardback. And when the paperback was launched, we had an evening here and the people from London came up. Oh, and wow. Tremendously impressive. Yes. <laughs> Fabulous. Who knew whiskey was this good? Yeah, I, I do like like it when friends of mine from London get a step off the train and I meet them in Waverley and then we walk out and they go, it's warm here. <laughs> and, and look, the sun's shining yes. and, and, and as if to say, you know, they're expecting it to be bleak and everyone to be dressed in kilts and holding claymores. Uh, okay, it's quite often bleak, I'll give them that. Yeah. But, uh, you but, you know, so so is England. Yeah. You know. Yeah. England can be very, very bleak indeed. Have you ever been in Norfolk on a February day? Jeez, yeah, that's yeah. no fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yes, Nit and Sonny and Nadia um, from the album Beyond Skin, a great choice. And thank you for those like evocative. I, I feel like I'm in Calcutta, uh, even listening to you. Which is, I suppose, your gift as a writer as well is being able to paint paint these uh, um, pictures with words. Um, I'm going to put that one to the side, although I'm, I, the, the trouble is with this podcast, Val, yeah. is that there's a danger that you can drink five full drams. You're being far more I'm, responsible I'm, well, I'm, than me. I'm, I, you know, like I know how, how, how dangerous it is to just knock them all back and buy the last one. I'll be saying, this is a really lovely whiskey. Yeah. I just don't know how it tastes or anything like that, yeah. but it's lovely. There's, but there, there's something about these that, that are uplifting. Yes. And, you know, it, 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 this... Drinking these whiskies, I don't feel like I'm being sort of pulled down by no. the, the, the sort of heady alcohol in them. They're, they're sort of zinging. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to dram number four, which is hilariously entitled Bittersweet Christmas Stocking Treat. Hmm. So obviously that gives you a kind of an idea of what it might be like straight off. And it kind of is. I mean, yeah. it is... It is kind of Christmassy. It's got that Christmas pudding kind of feel to it. I mean, I almost, I almost wanted to burst into "Have yourself a merry little Christmas." <laughs> yeah. No, it's wrong. It's not. It's not a Christmas Carol time. But <laughs> you have actually paired it with I have. a 16th century Carol as well. I absolutely love those kind of, I suppose, earlier cal- Carols. You mm. know. Um, and you, yeah. but you've got the Coventry Carol you've paired it with, um, sung by you mentioned earlier Alison Moyet. Yes, 
Yes, and, and I think you know, it's, it's a shame that we don't have the original recordings from Coventry in the 16th century, because that would be quite special to listen to. Yeah. But unfortunately, you know, the, the vinyls got lost somewhere down yeah, the years. Yeah, no, that's it. Yeah, they, um, they, they but, didn't have their, uh, the MP3 player on no, hand in uh, the 16th century. But what they did have was these gloriously um, clear voices. Uh, it would have been probably in castrati, boy sopranos. Um, but, the, but in those, that acoustic... It's just extraordinary. It's clear and yet it fills the whole room. Uh, I, I did a gig in, in Salisbury Cathedral a couple of years ago before the Russians came. Yeah. And uh, I was astounded by the fact that I could stand in the middle of the nave without amplification and talk and people could hear me throughout the space. I mean, it's but when you think of the trouble we have now when we do a gig of actually getting a decent acoustic. Mm-hmm. And these, these people in the, in the Middle Ages were doing it because they'd worked it all out somehow. Yeah. I don't quite know how, but there it was. Uh, and I, I, wanted, I wanted something that had that clarity and that smoothness and that brilliance uh, to go with this whiskey. Because uh, although it is quite sort of Christmassy, it's, it's got that, that clarity as well that you want. It, it's smooth, it's relaxing. And, and it also reminded me of the other aspects of Christmas. It's like, it's like Newbury fruits and mince pies. Yeah. You know, you yeah. bite into the Newbury fruits and, the, and the, the liquid fruit fills your mouth. Oh, I... And it's got, it's got that to it's it. It's funny how some people don't like the Christmas flavours. Yeah. Um, I, I, will, I have to stop myself because I will eat boxes yeah. of mince pies yeah. and every kind of fruit laden pudding going uh, I absolutely love all of the spices and flavours of that time it's funny you mentioned Salisbury Cathedral I, I was there recently and uh, I'd never been I thought Salisbury was beautiful by the way and I saw Magna Carta right. uh, one of the four existing original Magna Cartas and apparently the the, the most the best preserved and yeah and I walked around the, the cloisters and the cathedral yeah. and that that sort of natural amplification uh, that's, that's available is, 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 is superb. Is it the uh, largest cathedral in The highest England? spire. Right, highest spire, right. Um, but it's, 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 it's an extraordinarily beautiful space. And then they've got yeah. that 20th, 21st century font. It's mm. the most extraordinarily beautiful font that, that's kind of like, it's like, it's like an infinity pool, but it's the font. Mm. And it's just beautiful, it starts sitting in the middle of it. But it shows the, the, the marriage of the ancient and modern. And I suppose that's what you get with Alison Moy singing a medieval carol. Well, I... I didn't know the carol, and I obviously know Alison Moy, but I obviously didn't know this reading of the, this performance of the carol. I thought her voice worked particularly mm. well with it. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's verging on, the carol's verging on that kind of plain song, yeah. um, early music. And it's, I don't think it's quite early music, it's not early enough. It's not so early, it's, early. You know, yeah. uh, but it's, you know, uh, and her voice suited it uh, yeah. beautifully, I thought. And uh, it's from a Christmas album as well, a very yeah. special Christmas Yes. Um, I, I didn't realise she'd done a Christmas album in 1987. Yeah. I, I feel 87 is like a crucial year for you because that was the first year that, that was the year your first book was published. It is, yes. It's also the year my dad died. Oh, was it um, right? Okay. My dad died 10 days before my first novel was published. <sighs> so that's always been sort of knocked the guilt off the gingerbread a bit. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he would have loved the way my career has gone since then. Mm-hmm. And, and he would not uh, um, begrudge me any of that for a second. But I wish he was here to see it. Yes, of course. Um, Did yeah. he encourage you from sort of to, to write and to be creative and to follow your dreams? 
He encouraged me to follow my dreams, to do what, what, what was in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, he and my mum were both of that generation of really bright working class kids who left school at 14 because their families couldn't afford to educate them. Um, and he and my mum were both determined that I would have a better set of chances than they had. So they always supported me in, in what, I, what I wanted to do in, in every aspect of my life, really, um, even when it completely baffled them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was the case quite often. I think I could I, sometimes you'd look across the dinner table and, and you could see them thinking, "Where did she come from?" Oh, the same thing. My parents thought exactly the same with me. All of that music that they thought was an absolute racket, you turned that into your job. You know? yeah. yeah, I remember. I remember one of my aunties saying to me once, "She says just as well you look as much like your dad as you do." <laughs> <laughs> what right? Yes. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah um, well, it, I, I was lucky. My parents just basically went, you have to enjoy your life and you have to do what you want to do. And you have to find a job. Why? Oh, you have to have something to fall back on. Yeah, but you have to find a job that you enjoy doing because you're going to be doing it for decades of your life and you're going to be doing it 8, 9, 10, 12 hours a day. So make sure it's something that you're... Yeah. And that, I think, sets me apart from some of my friends who are like, no, you have to get a job, but it has. I don't care if you enjoy it. Make mm-hmm. sure it brings in the, the cash. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, my, my parents are very much of, of, the, of, of the view that I should, I should follow my star, do, do what matters to me. Um, and, and my dad always used to say, the only thing that stands between you and what you want to do is you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I kind of took that as a as a mantra, I suppose. Um, and uh, it, it was always they always encouraged whatever it was that I was I was passionate about at the time, whether that was playing hockey or playing guitar or going off to Oxford. I mean, that must have been. I look back at it now, and they were you know ordinary working class folk for five mm-hmm. generations, as I say, generations of Scottish peasantry. Uh, and and you know I turned around and said, I'm going to Oxford. <laughs> mm, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and well, s- but, but, but they must have been compl- so proud of you doing that. I think it was a mixture of pride and terror. Yeah. You know that 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 you know they were they were afraid for me, and it was going a long way away. I mean, we'd only been to England once. We'd been for a week to Blackpool, right? Which really prepared me for the Dreaming Spires. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Different um, spires altogether uh, there. Right. So I mean, I think they were they were I think weary as well for me. Uh, but it, it, it well, the turned last out okay. done good. Turned the out last okay. done good. Turned yeah, out it turned okay. out more than okay. It turned out brilliant. Um, you, yeah, you 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 know Alison Moyer, the red well, wine in the twiglets. Well, we 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 met because we 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 tweet we we've tweeted each other quite a lot over the years, and um, when uh, when the Brexit referendum went so horribly wrong, mm-hmm. uh, my partner Joe she went off to the shops to get something nice for the tea. I refused to get out of bed, <laughs> and she saw the the sign saying poster up saying Alison was coming to the Ashot Hall. So she went online straight away and bought tickets and came back and said, you've got to get out of bed because you can't stay in bed till Alison Moyer comes in November. Uh, I said, yeah. oh, okay, right. And I tweeted Alison that we got these tickets and she said, you have to come backstage. And I thought, that's, she's just saying that, you know, that's what people say. And then the week of the, the gig, she, she, she DM'd me to say, you are coming backstage on Thursday, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, okay, fine. And we turned up at the, the Usher Hall and uh, we had to go to the to get her backstage passes at the, at the box office. And uh, the woman there, who was obviously her, her person, said, have you got tickets already? And we were like, yeah. So she said, let me see your tickets. So we handed over the tickets. She said, oh, no, no, those won't do. <laughs> Swapped them for tickets right in the middle of the, the circle. So we had fabulous seats. It was a great set. 
Uh, and then afterwards, we, we went round to the, the stage door and Alice was, oh, come in, come in. I don't usually see people after gigs because I have to preserve my voice, but if I've not got an event tomorrow, I can do something tonight. And I've got some red wine and twiglets for you. And we're like, this is Alison Moye. And Joe, my partner, says, she says, she says if, if I ever write a biography, it's going to be called Red Wine and Twiglets with Alison Moye. Perfect. And she was just so lovely. And it's that kind of thing that just fills you with with joy that the people you've admired and you've admired their work. And I've loved her work right from, you know, from, from do you remember she did Blue, that song that was the, the theme tune for that um, series about women's football? I don't drama think I series, know that, actually. No. Um, Play in the Field. Yes, and yeah, I, I, I remember that, but I don't remember the music. Maybe I'll know it when I hear it. Yeah, you would, you would. And, and, but she's done things that are like that. She's done beautiful ballads. She's done Nimakitupa. Yeah. She's done the whole... She's done, Amazing panoply. That voice is just I think, fabulous. I think she has got an astonishing voice, and I yeah. think she's maybe underrated for that. You yeah. know, she's a bit of a torch singer now, and, and she can lend herself to you know kind of great pop songs, but also something that's richer and yeah. more developed. Yeah, yeah no, she, I think it's funny. It's funny. Some artists might be written off, or not written off, but undervalued because they did pop music, or because maybe they wrote some kind of throwaway short stories or something a bit more pop culture-y um, but actually people who are into pop culture and so-called lowbrow things are, are also equally as uh, able to you know move into so-called highbrow arts as well yeah. I think I mean and I think it's it's continually proved time on time and I mean another example of that might be someone like Mark Almond who was yeah. seen as a really subversive and uh, in you know in with soft cell and you know late seventies early eighties leather clad and tattooed yeah. and you know and of course he's an astonishing singer and yeah. can, he can he can sing arias that guy if he yeah. really wants you yeah know. we were in the car the other day actually listening to him singing something's got a hold of my heart with Gene Pitney oh yeah I and remember I mean, that just talk about power ballads it, to, yeah. to, to the, you know if I hadn't had the roof off already it would have taken the roof off yeah, yeah. you know it was just just great. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. picturing you listening to lots of music with the the, the soft top aye, down. Aye. I'm the, we're the people that you hate if you live in a wee village and we come motoring through <laughs> singing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is great. Well, a uh, bittersweet Christmas stocking treat is yeah. Alison Moye, The Coventry Carol. We'll put it on the playlist, on the Spotify playlist. All of the tracks that Ian's discussed, that uh, Val is discussing right now, we'll put them on. And as the series progresses, we'll just add all of the tracks that are discussed to that playlist on Spotify. Jaffa Cakes, Grand Marnier, Dark Chocolate Mints and a Finish of Tannic Oak and Ginger Heat. I can't disagree, it is wonderful, this whiskey. It's like eating, it's like drinking Christmas. Yeah, it is. And and do you know what? Christmas in my house, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I do love a bit of Slade and all of that stuff. (laughs) Um, I, I love Herb Albert's Christmas album and so on. But I do like early song and Gregorian chant and these kind of, you know, 15th, 16th, yeah. 17th century yeah. carols, they're and beautiful. It's, it's not Christmas without without Bach's Christmas cantata as well. Mm. You know, mm. there's, there's, there's all sorts. I mean, that's the thing that people are always trying to put you into boxes, um, but without understanding that, that none of us fits in a particular box. We all have bits that come out of the side, branches that go up, branches that go down. It's... None of us is, is in that neat wee box. And, and it really annoys me when people try to classify you. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, you're a Scottish writer, or you're a lesbian writer, or you're a this, or you're a that. 
Um, when in fact we've all got these multiple facets to not just the core thing that we do, but the other things that we do in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, for me, music is just as important as, as books, as literature. Um, so, but somehow, if, if you do one thing, you're not supposed to do anything else. You're not supposed to be interested in anything else. And I find that really limiting. It's really annoying. Yeah, you're a font of wisdom, Val McDermott. I completely agree with you. And, and I think people are hemmed in and, and trapped by their peers as much as by society often. And uh, I, I'm a great believer in people. If you, you know, if you, I, I'm on the radio, I'm a broadcaster, but I make music. I also try my hand at writing books and I do all sorts of different things and I, I you know I, I'm sure a lot of people just go nope that guy's in that box yeah and I'm afraid it, I'm not and yeah. neither are you and neither should anyone else should they want to try their hand at this that and the next thing why not I think we should move on to dram number five and um, the fifth and final dram named pineapples ahoy and our <laughs> <laughs> I do love all the. Uh, the, the I have the to say titles. this this one. I felt slightly, but this is the really serious whiskey. Yeah, it is. You can't it, call it something daft. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It, 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 it's funny how the, the 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 titles often give a sort of jovial um, feel yeah. to it, but I mean, actually, this, this is the this is the the heavy duty one of the five. This sounds like a sort of you know like nineteen fifties black and white British comedy, you know. Pineapples Sailor beware! Ahoy. Pineapples ahoy! Yeah. Um, which is under the oily and coastal tasting profile. Um, barbecued prawns, fish boxes, seaweed, boatyard, driftwood, pebble beach, uh, olive oil, um, oysters, and so on. I mean... Now, see, my, my, we've, we've got a wee cottage in the East Nuke, and in front of us... In is, the posh bit? Not the very posh bit, no. Um, <laughs> but we've, we've got, at the bottom of our garden, is basically the sea, and it's the sort of rocky pebbly bit and I'm sorry I don't go down and lick the stones because I don't think the stones are going to taste of anything very nice but I would certainly lick plenty of this whiskey if it was draped over the stones yeah um, and I, I think it's, it, you do get that the nose you do get the thing yeah. the nose and, and all the all the Isla whiskies and, and you know all, all that sort of line of whiskies from Jura Isla up to Talisker and Oban they've all got that saltiness to them mm-hmm. the, the, the faint hint of seaweed the mm-hmm. nice seaweed not the smelly seaweed that the sun's been on and it smells like jobbies yeah but right the, okay, the, the yeah. lovely seaweed yeah um, but this is and it's got that saltiness that, that, that sweet saltiness and a bit of peat smoke the smoke comes through it's like it's like you're having your barbecue right by the sea and then this one has got a wee hint of the fruit. It's got a bit of pineapple pineappleness yeah. in there. Yeah. And so, yeah, so this is an Isla, it's a bourbon cask. And um, it is quite fruit. There's no doubt about it. It's quite fruity on the nose, as well as that kind of salty, um, and sea flavour. do get that slight oiliness in the mouth. Mm. Um, Let me try it. And, and for me, this is the perfect end of Isla. The, the Lagavulins and the Freuds mm. are too much for me. Um, Joe loves them. You kind of get enough of the phenol, you know. I think you just gargle with TCP and then take a drink of bells. It'll just be the same. <laughs> um, but Ian Rankin was saying that, that when he, when he, you know, a similar question at the beginning, I, I sort of said, "What would you go for?" And he's like, "I go for the the really strong PT right. Islas." Um, I think there are a flow flavor explosion. So maybe if you've had a few beers or something like that beforehand, you want yeah. something to just blow your mind. Yeah. Uh, but I. 
I'm with you. I sort of I like I go into that world, mm. but I don't I don't if I had drank that all night, I mean I think I'd mm. go mad mm. because not not to say that I don't love that whiskey, but it's it's just it's it's like listening to a barrage of solid punk rock or heavy rock all night. You want a bit of it, you want a flavour of it, but you, you also need you know, yeah. something else. In the but it's, it's just too much for me, that extreme end of yeah. it. Um, and you know, I love this little Bunahavan, the Bomor, the Arbeg, Kulaila, all of that. But when we get right up to the hardcore, it, it leaves me behind. Okay, I'm well... I'm afraid, but this is lovely. This it is, is, it is. It's perfectly lovely. balanced, this one. It and... You've gone for your, your final choice. Tell us a bit about Mike Vass and Settled in Clay. Well, I swithered a bit about this one. You know, I thought about I thought about a bit of jazz saxophone, John Sermon, coruscating, wonderful album. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I remembered a fabulous night in Ullapool a few years ago now at the Book Festival. Uh, and uh, on the, on the sat- Saturday night, Saturday. anyway, um, Mike Vass, the, the folk musician, uh, had put together a, a small ensemble and they'd done uh, a trip in the wake of Neil Gunn. It's, uh, it's got, the album's called The Wake of Neil Gunn. And they basically did the same trip that Neil Gunn had done around the waters of Scotland and uh, made, made an album out of it, made music out of it. And it was, it was, again, it was one of those magical evenings and we were transported by the music into the, 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 the water and the islands and the landscape. Uh, and and also, I mean, Neil Gunn sort of commis- committed to his his his, his native land, uh, and and all that he he did in his involvement in the early days of of, of a Scottish national movement, uh, and I just thought this was was was, was the perfect setting for this whisky, which has got that that you know that that sense of being on the water. I could I can imagine drinking this as that the, the sun went down on the Western Isles on on board a, a wee boat, uh, and and just feeling. Absolutely at home in in my Scotland. Yeah, well, um, I mean, we we both love Ullapool. Ullapool's a wonderful little yeah. um, town village. Uh, people call it a village. It's it's big enough to be a town, I think. Mm. Um, it's the gateway to some of the Western Isles you... and to Westeros. Yes, as well, absolutely it's fabulous. It's spectacular scenery around yep. there. It's a lovely little town. People are dead friendly. And both of us used to go to, although we never crossed paths yes. there, and, uh, you know, it's just sad, but uh, to the Lupaloo Festival, obviously yeah. Ullapool backwards, Lupaloo. I went to all of them. I DJed at it. I, mm. I, I played I played a, a gig in a, in a previous band I was in with yeah. King Creosote at it and, oh. and, and saw all sorts of incredible acts there over the years and had a great time. I yeah. mean, I'd always say that playing records, DJing at Lupaloo was better than playing records in Ibiza and I've done that. Um, <laughs> and it was. Better reaction, better, crazier crowd, more like passion in the audience. I thought it was it's wonderful. A great place. And one, one, of my, one of my sadnesses over COVID, I mean, trivial compared to the, the, the hell that so many people have gone through in the last couple of years, but um, last year, my band, the Fun Loving Crime Writers, were supposed to play at the Ellipool Book Festival. We were, we were going to go up and we we're going to do gigs during the book festival, book gigs, and then on the Saturday night we were going to play uh, play a gig, the Fun Loving Crime Writers, on stage in Ellipool. And the Ellipool Book Festival people are still determined to get us up there to do a gig for them. Rightfully and so. We would love it. Now, there will be people listening going, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, I know the fun-loving criminals. Who are the fun-loving crime writers? And uh, just give us a little bit of background on this. I mean, obviously, I know about the 
fun-loving crime writers, but I, I want you to just de- describe how this came together and what it is. Well, it started off uh, on a drunken night in New Orleans. That's the, that's the, the way you can best find the route, so there's lots of other different routes to it. Um, and Doug Johnson and Stuart Neville and Mark Billingham were at the BoucherCon Crime Festival there, uh, and it was an open mic night, and the, and the band, the house band, were terrible. Uh, and the house band went off for their break and a certain amount of drink had been taken and Doug and Stuart and Mark said let's go up and give them a couple of numbers to show what the Brits can do uh, yeah. uh, and they went up and they did a couple of numbers and it all went down very well and one of the people who heard about this was Roland Gulliver who at the time was programming the Edinburgh Book Festival and he's now in Toronto he's now in Toronto he? yes uh, and he got in touch with, with uh, Doug and said I'd like to book the band for the Edinburgh Book Festival and Doug says okay and then said but we haven't actually got a band. Yeah. Uh, and then they, they sort of put their heads together. And I'd, and I'd sung on various occasions with, with Doug and with Mark. And so they said, well, Val can sing. Uh, but let's just quickly stop there. Val can sing. I mean, everyone sings, perhaps, not maybe not everyone, lots of people sing in their, the privacy of their own home and with their family and friends and so on. But um, music's a huge part of your life. And uh, yeah. have you ever, much like... Ian Rankin, have you ever had sort of, you know, you wanted to be Joni Mitchell? Is, is, is there part of you that would like to be a professional musician? Or? No, I think that's a hellish life, to be honest. Really? But I mean, when I was a teenager, I, I, I sang in folk clubs and, and mm. into my 20s. Um, and Kirkcaldy had a great folk club, The Elbow Room, and everybody played The Elbow Room, you know, so I, I knew people like Billy Connolly and Jerry Rafferty um, and the great Fife Roadshow crew. And, you know, I sometimes. Barbara Dixon, I would imagine. I, I was yeah. about to say, I, I sometimes sang backing vocals for Barbara Dixon. Oh, did and you? Really? Wow. Yeah. And, uh, if only so they had camera phones back then. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, known, I've known Rab and Barbara for 50 years. Uh, so I, I always I always sang and then I would sing I would get my guitar out and sing for friends and things like that but it was quite clear that uh, I wasn't I wasn't going to make that my career and and there was a certain I suppose a certain sadness always that the music hadn't gone further uh, but you have to make a choice sometimes you have to focus mm-hmm. and make a choice and then the 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 the, the, ch- the chance to sort of put a band together I said the guy said Val can sing she'll do this for us because I said I'd done bits and pieces with Mark and bits and pieces with Doug. And Doug's a great writer. I mean, Doug's they're all great writers. They're all great writers. writers, and Doug's a great musician as well. I mean, he's the drummer in the band, but he's also a terrific guitarist mm-hmm. uh, and a songwriter. Me, as well. Makes his own albums. Uh, so, um, they got in touch, and uh, Stuart Neville was a sensational lead guitarist, and um, we needed a bass player. So, somebody said, "Luca Vesti plays," and so contacted Luca, saying, "Can you play bass?" He said, "I can now." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so that was that was the core. There was five of us, and we had our first rehearsal before the the event at the Edinburgh Book Festival, and uh, Chris Brookmeyer had been invited along to do sort of guest vocals on Werewolves of London. So he came along and he he did really well, and we did the gig, and he was great. And then the next thing that we had was a rehearsal for before the next event that we did, and Chris turned up with a guitar which he hadn't been able to play before. Uh, and he'd learned all the harmonies for all the songs in the set. So what what could we do? We just had to bring him. Come on, son, on you come. Come on in. And and he's <laughs> now he's now progressed with his guitar playing to the point where he now plays lead guitar when we do Back on the Chain Gang. Mm. Uh, he plays every day. His wife wants to kill us. <laughs> and but are they? Uh, is your set picked from particularly lyrical songs? Songs that are well, crime, crime. You know, songs that deal with. 
crimes, basically, yes, and murders. And, we do yeah. cover versions of songs about crime and murder. Yeah. Um, we made a deliberate choice not to write our own material because that's how bands always break up. Yeah. Um, but we do a whole range. I mean, we start off, the first thing we do is I go out there front a cappella solo doing the Scottish murder ballad, The Twa Corbys, and we crash straight into I Fought the Law. Excellent. But the night before, the night we did our very first event, uh, just before we went on stage, I was in the author's yurt at the book festival and I saw my friend Robin Robertson, the poet, and I wanted to just say hello to him. So I went across and there was a woman talking to him, she had her back to me. And I went, just, hi, just want to say hi, Robin, love, love the new collection, beautiful. And this woman turned and, and Robin said, Val, do you know Maddie Pryor? Mm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm about to go on stage and do a live a cappella traditional song. And Maddie Pryor is in the house. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 and, I got and that cold hand of terror. Watch she watched us, and it, I, I, I mean, I, I tried to put all thoughts of Maddie Pryor out of my head when I stood there and sang. Did, did but, you manage to speak to her afterwards? No, I didn't speak to her afterwards. Immediately afterwards, but the following spring, I was at the uh, Radio Two Folk Awards in, in Belfast. And I was chatting to a whole bunch of people afterwards. I mean, I was, I was, I was there with some of my teen idols, you know, Ralph McTell, who I thought, not, never mind Streets of London, was just a superb guitarist, superb songwriter, various other people. And um, I suddenly felt this hand on my shoulder. I turned around and it's Maddie Pryor. And she said, I listened to you at the Edinburgh Festival. You were terrific. And I just thought, my life is complete now, that's it. That's like the blondie kiss, yes, isn't yes, it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and so, so we, we have a great time. And we actually played Glastonbury in 2019. We were on the stage, the acoustic stage at Glastonbury, which was we were all just like, we spent most of the day giggling. Yeah. Because we couldn't quite believe it. And I got totally taken for a mug, you know. I'm in a band with five guys who all go like, no, no, we can't drive a big van, we can't drive a big van. Who ended up driving the van? Me. Really? Yes. Oh. I totally got totally got conned on that one. Oh, no, we can't drive a, a big van because none of us actually want to drive it. Yes, because we can't have a beer then. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. But, well, but, in all my years as a young lad uh, being in bands, I never drove. I couldn't drive. Yeah. And so I sat in the back having a, a beer or two. Um, now I drive and still play music and still, you know, and now I feel it's my duty. It's my hair shirt. It's my, you know, catechism, whatever. I have to, I have to, sort of, you know, I have to go through it. I, I take everyone with me. I'm the driver. I don't well, mind it at all. Because no, you, have to, you have to go for it. I've said to them, next time, you bastards, I'm not driving. Yeah, yeah. And we also realised we'd, <laughs> we'd made a fatal schoolboy error as well. Because we'd, we'd been asked about our rider, what we wanted to drink. So we'd said what we usually say, which is a case of lager and, and a bottle of red wine. Thank you. And we got there and we had, we had our, the backstage area, we had our own fridge in the backstage area with our name on it um, and my bottle of red wine sitting on the top. Because I like twiglets. to gargle. No twiglets. I like <laughs> to gargle with the red wine because it loosens up my vocal cords. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, were there. Um, we made the mistake of looking in the Hawkwind fridge, which ah. was crammed with bottles of vodka. And we were just going like, we really got that wrong, didn't we? Mind <laughs> and you. then, as if that's not bad enough, some bastard stole my red wine. <laughs> oh, no, that, that is unforgivable. I, I was just like, where's my red I wine? I was going to say, you know, there's Hawkwinds and there's, you know, they're seasoned professionals that have been doing, like, uh-huh. space kraut jazz, whatever you want to call it, space rock, shall we call it, for um, 
A million yeah. years. Yeah, a million years. Because the, they, the they could probably drink well. a bottle of vodka each and still hold it together. Yeah. Do you really want to go on stage after a bottle of vodka? Or no, but I would quite like I'd quite like a glass of red wine, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, fair um, enough. But it was nice. It was. It was we had some had some fun moments that day. Um, we were in. We were standing in the food queue. Uh, me and Joel and Marty Pello was in front of me. And he turned round and Marty Pello went, "Oh my God, it's Val McDermott." I mean, I was fangirled by Marty Pello. I mean, I was, how often is that going to happen to you in your life? We went back to our table, and, and Luca's wife, Emma, who was a big, wet, wet, wet fan, goes like, that was Marty Pello. Why was he talking to you? And this is all at Glastonbury. Yeah. Yeah. Glastonbury is special. Um, I remember meeting one of my heroes, Joe Strummer, there. Yeah. He was in a high vis roadmender's jacket with flying goggles on of at course. a bar. Of course he was. And um, I met him once before, but I was drunk and he, you know, told him that I thought he was the greatest thing ever and he was drunk and so... We were both relatively sober and managed to have a, a fantastic conversation and I will remember it till the yeah. you know, day I die. And um, I also remember saying, oh, I just watched Jazz Jamaica, a big ska band round the corner, and he, oh... I missed them. I really wanted to see them, you know. And it was, yeah. it was. But it's a special place. You'll you'll have experiences and meet people that you probably won't encounter anywhere else in the world. This is yeah. extraordinary festival. So I've I've been lucky that I've I mean of of my musical heroes that I've met, I've never met one that was was anything other than lovely. Well, that's I, good. I, my teens were bracketed by Joni Mitchell on one side and Leonard Cohen on the other side, <laughs> and I actually interviewed Leonard Cohen in 1976 when he was in that sort of slight trough of a career, mm-hmm. and he was playing Plymouth. Oh right, <laughs> and, okay. Uh, and and, I was, and this I, is when you were in Devon. When I was in Devon, I was baby journalist. I said to my news editor, "I want to go and interview Leonard Cohen," and my news editor said, "Who's he?" I said, "Never mind. I want to go and interview him." He said, "Okay, fine." And, and I went backstage, met Leonard Cohen, and he was utterly lovely. Was he? he? could not have been nicer. He was charming and... and, and uh, I never met him. It was quite clear I was a fan. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, and he signed my albums and he signed my programme and he was just lovely. And I was incoherent. The tape of this interview, thankfully, does not survive. But it's it's, it's but, funny, I'm a huge Leonard Cohen fan as well. And I happened to be in Montreal literally days after he died. Yeah. And the, it was, as you might imagine, funereal, if that's a word. Yeah. Um, Montreal was in mourning. Yeah. And there were tributes all over the city, but outside his house, there were crucifixes and you name it, yeah. bouquets that, that filled the entire street. Uh, and and uh, his records on repeat, all his entire back catalogue that just never stopped. It's actually quite touching I find that kind of thing slightly uh, crass and distasteful sometimes but in this case it just seemed absolutely natural it was the local yeah. well I mean you and, know uh, he made it his local and he was remarkable I mean you know he, he started off you know in the 60s with, with Suzanne and that's no way to say goodbye and then in his 80s he was writing stuff like you got me singing mm. the hallelujah hymn and you just mm. like this is great stuff it's mm. still great stuff yeah yeah, um, an extraordinary, an extraordinary songwriter and an artist. And going back to our pineapples, ahoy, whiskey, yes. and Mike Vass settled in clay. Um, an excellent artist. I mean, Nairn born. I think now Edinburgh based. Perhaps he's in the band called Malinkies. Put out solo albums, hugely well respected. And I think at the 
vanguard, one of the artists at the vanguard of this new Scottish traditional revival, if you like. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been going on for a decade, so it's not really a revival anymore. But I, I, I suppose people reconnecting with Scottish traditional music yeah. and pushing it forward into new territory. Um, an extraordinary artist and a great artist to pair with this whiskey I think oily yeah. and coastal oily is, and coastal yeah. And, and, and yeah it's lovely I mean as I say you could imagine imagine listening to this this album as you're sort of sailing around the islands of the west of Scotland and drinking a very good dram yeah well I think we should leave it there it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you Val and honestly um, I feel like we could make this podcast two or three times longer in fact let's go for a dram sometime <laughs> um, why not why not a pleasure thank you for joining me on Malts and Music thank you for having me thanks for checking out Malts and Music I hope you enjoyed it remember we are building a playlist of all the tracks discussed you can find that on Spotify and for all your whiskey needs unfiltered whiskey talk and so much more head along to the website smws.com I'm Vic Galloway, this is the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, and I'll speak to you in a month's time. Uh-huh.